Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. What's up, everybody? Welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. Before we get started, if you like this podcast, and if you love freedom and you believe in the Constitution, then give us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. Just take the time to write a little comment if you've got a, a moment. We want to hear from you, and it helps us get better. And when you give us feedback, it's, it's just the best thing. We read all of them, and we really appreciate that. You can hit the donate button at mustreadalaska.com, and that keeps this conservative news project alive, and it really does. We're really going to go into the next year strong, so thanks for supporting Must Read Alaska. Like us on Facebook. I'm Suzanne Downing, and my co-host, John Quick, is on the other mic. Scott Levesque is our producer, and you can hear Scott on the Wednesday edition of the Must Read Alaska show, which he is hosting by himself, and we really appreciate that. If you didn't get a chance, listen to last week's show, and that is the Wednesday show because Scott just hits it out of the ballpark on what happened at the assembly last week and what the municipal attorney said. So just quick review. She basically said that the reason that Anchorage is not cracking down on churches is because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is dead. She literally said that in so many words. She said that with a new court and it's more constitutional focus, the municipality of Anchorage doesn't want to mess with it. So listen to that podcast on Wednesday. It's, it's a great job, uh, Scott, on that. But we've got a lot going on in Alaska. Of course, politics as usual is never politics as usual in the 49th state. So, um, John, you're on the other mic and you're there in the Kiski, and I want to know all about what's happening there because I know you are in the thick of things. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Uh, John Quick here out in Nikiski, Alaska, and I can tell you the stark contrast difference between uh, businesses and the positive environment that's happening on the, on the Kenai Peninsula and businesses and what I would call the negative tyranny environment that's happening in Anchorage. We just did, I'm a part owner of a hardware store here on the Kenai Peninsula, and we just had a Christmas event. Uh, as most businesses are closing down and shutting down and no events and masks and only two people in at a time and all these kinds of things that are happening in Anchorage, the Kenai Peninsula is rustling and bustling and we're open for business. And we had a Christmas event and we had three to 400 people out to this event. We had reindeer, we had Santa, we had the mayor, we had folks from the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly, we had Tuckerman Babcock, we had the who's who of the peninsula come out, uh, and everybody had an amazing time. We, we built a sledding hill for the kids, we had a bonfire and s'mores. I mean, the it was such a positive vibe happening and people were so excited to come together as a community and to, to just enjoy each other. And I really feel bad for the folks in Anchorage because literally they can't do that. It's against the law apparently. And uh, I'm very, I'm very uh, fortunate and blessed to live here on the Kenai Peninsula. One of the things that's happening also on the Kenai Peninsula is parents are getting organized. Parents have called a strike. And really what that means is uh, parents who have their kids currently enrolled 
in the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District are pulling their kids out because they want to have all students be able to learn in person. They're sick and tired of the Zoom. They're sick and tired of the school board not listening to them. Some school board members do listen, which I want to give them credit for. But overall, the school board has voted against opening school up to all in-person learning, learning K through 12. And so parents have got organized. The chief of staff for the borough, James Basin, is kind of leading this charge and uh, watch down the pipeline of what's to happen because it's only been about a week and they've got a whole bunch of parents involved. They're organizing strikes and picketing uh, and they're doing some other things kind of behind the scenes. And they are going to, I think, send a message to the school board and the superintendent that they've had enough. Their failed policies, their lack of leadership, they're putting kids last. They want to stand up and say, it's time to put kids first. And if you're not going to do that, we will make sure that your school district is defunded. And so, you know, let's meet in the middle somewhere. Let's open up schools and let's fund teachers and let's get the politics out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you know, I know that Nikiski and the Kenai in general is, is open and you've got a mayor there who's very supportive of businesses. And he has said from the beginning, the Kenai is open for business. And actually the, the climate down there is, is doing a little bit better economically. But I do know that at Anchorage Baptist Temple last night, they had a big Christmas spectacular and they had lots and lots of events going on down there. And uh, they had just lots of family fun. And there were a lot of people there. And again, uh, with the Anchorage municipality doing a hands-off on the churches, things are a little bit more normal at some of the churches that are still brave enough to, to get together. But also in Anchorage, what's fascinating is that uh, we learned yesterday that the shopkeepers, cafes, and other businesses are actually banding together up here. And they're all going to open up on Saturday, December 19th, completely in defiance of the Anchorage acting mayor's lockdown order, which is EO 16. And um, she's basically closed the restaurants, the bars, and I don't know if the bars will open up. I mean, that gets a little tricky when they do that and, and they, they're all worried about losing their liquor licenses and so forth. But, but most of the businesses in town are either closed or with a 25% capacity, which means they can't let more than two people in at a time. And it's just, it's really um, been crippling for them. And about a hundred businesses have, have gathered together in this organization called the Anchorage Business Coalition. Now it makes you wonder, where is the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce in all of this? Why haven't they stood up and defended the businesses in Anchorage? They've been absolutely silent about this decimation of the, the business climate here. And um, so this other alternative group has started called the Anchorage Business Coalition and, and you wonder if it's gonna take the place of the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce, we shall see. But be very interesting to see on uh, Saturday, the, the 19th of December, how many businesses take part and whether or not the city sends out its army of code enforcers to shut them down with stop work orders. That will be a fascinating thing. I understand a bunch of people coming from Kenai and people are coming also from the Matsu Valley to spend money in Anchorage and support the small businesses here. So uh, lots going on. And um, of course, we, all, we both know that the virus uh, vaccine arrived last night in Alaska and it is being mobilized out to lots and lots of communities. So that thing is going on in the background as well. But while we are here in Anchorage watching things kind of melt down in our, in our uh, city, city government, we have somebody on the line with us today who is who's, uh, standing up for good government and open meetings. And it's Frank McQuarrie and welcome to the show, Frank. How are you doing today? 
I'm great, Suzanne. Thank you for inviting me. And Frank is the former chairman, uh, vice chairman of the Alaska Republican Party. That's where I met him long ago. And he has been a businessman in Anchorage. He was born and raised in Alaska. His father was an engineer on the, I believe, the Sterling Highway. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. See, I remember. And you went to a one-room schoolhouse down there in the Kenai, didn't you? One-room log schoolhouse. That's right. I've seen it. And it still exists, actually. It's so, uh, so deep, deep roots in Alaska. And um, so tell us a little bit about the Alaskans for Open Meetings and why you started it. Well, I, I wish I could claim that I started it, but I didn't. I, I was invited to a meeting of folks that were disturbed, concerned with what was happening at the assembly and the shutout of the people. Uh, it was a group of which I probably only knew ahead of time one person. We sat around and talked about what had happened and what the significance was going to be for Anchorage going forward. I had to leave the meeting early for another commitment and uh, told them that I'd do whatever I could to help. So uh, the next meeting, I discovered I'd been elected president. Uh, this is what happens when you leave meetings and you get elected to be you know, <laughs> president. That's what happens. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Other duties is a sign. So right. th this is an interesting group. There's some recognizable names. Uh, uh, Christine Hill has been an activist politically and very active. Uh, Craig Campbell, former state uh, adjutant general and lieutenant governor, uh, was on the Anchorage Assembly for many years, the chair of it twice. Uh, a number of business people around town, John and uh, Chris Stoner, uh, Ian Rose, uh, Dia Matson. Uh, these are all people with skin in the game, except maybe Craig and I, we're getting a little old, so maybe we don't have as much skin as the rest of the folks, but we all have family here and we're deeply concerned about the future of Anchorage. And right now under the, the leader, current leadership, uh, it's not looking that great. So uh, what's the goal of Alaskans for Open Meetings? I mean, obviously you don't start an organization like that without there, some, there being something that happened that made you want to start it. Well, yes. The, basically, when the assembly in, uh, at the end of July shut the public out of the assembly chambers um, and did not allow any in-person testing and seemed to go on a binge of passing very questionable ordinances, questionable from a legal standpoint, questionable from a financial standpoint and wisdom as far as uh, being responsible to the whole of the municipality. Uh, we chose, there were so many targets in that array. We chose the probably the narrowest and uh, most direct constitutional objection uh, in which uh, was that open meetings laws, federal, state, and local requires that all public affairs uh, where there's a more than three elected officials present must be done in public. And if they aren't, they're in violation. Uh, at the end of the July, basically the municipality shut the public out of the assembly chambers, even though there were hundreds of people outside waiting to come in. Uh, and went ahead in violation of their own rules and invited their uh, people in to testify, only the people that they wanted to hear from, and proceeded to pass a number of very controversial uh, measures. 
Uh, amongst those were the laundering of the CARES money, uh, which was a federal appropriation designed to mitigate the economic damage to communities. Uh, they had gotten an original ruling from the Treasury Department that using it to buy four 50-year-old buildings to create a new homeless bureaucracy was probably not legal. So they chose to uh, launder that money through another division of the municipality and use the money that they had on hand to pay for that in order to buy the real estate. That's one of the things that we had hoped that our uh, lawsuit would at least slow down. Um, they also passed the ordinance that authorized the purchase of these four old buildings of questionable structural integrity, questionable location for the purpose. Uh, and they presented no business case for this, no, nothing on the table that indicated that they would make a dent in the homeless problems of the universality. Uh, in fact, uh, obviously it was inadequate given the numbers of homeless that they contend that there are on the streets of Anchorage. Uh, they also passed uh, an ordinance uh, prohibiting conversion therapy, which sounds good, but like a lot of good intentions, the language was so broad that it probably jeopardizes any form of counseling having anything to do with sexual orientation other than somebody that might be encouraging uh, uh, a conversion uh, to rather than from. So uh, the other one was, again, probably the most frightening, when, which the long-term implication was, was the appointment of an equity officer. Uh, uh, this is sort of a 1984-ish concept. Uh, 1984 was late getting here, but it seems to be trying. The municipality uh, has gone on from there to uh, uh, permitting really strange behavior in the assembly chambers on the part of some transgender folks who did calisthenics in front of the dais where the assembly members were. And then subsequent to that, they threw somebody out whose views they didn't like. I think they actually arrested him. I think you wrote about that, Suzanne. I did, yeah. They arrested Dustin Darden for, um, for shouting and pounding on the dais. Or yeah. on, the, um, on the podium. So uh, that's all right. You know, th this, this, I think when these people were elected, uh, Anchorage maybe had some hope that this was truly a diverse assembly and that uh, they were going to be looking after everybody. But it seems now that they're really not looking after the population as a whole. They're looking after their own interests, which seem to be fairly narrow. Uh, they've engaged in abusive uh, uh, descriptions of the public, not recognizing the obvious fact that within that vast public out there in Anchorage, there's a lot of expertise on a lot of different subjects, including the very things that they have been making these hasty and costly decisions about. Uh, so our case is again, the narrow case of they have violated the law. Yeah. Uh, and those, the law are the white lines that uh, basically protect everybody no matter which side of the street or which direction they're going in. And we live in a time when both our government bureaucracies and our courts seem to feel that uh, the white lines are optional. You know, if your intentions are good, well, we'll move the line a little bit, or maybe we'll erase this line. Uh, that's the path to disaster in my mind. Uh, 
Well, Frank, we have a, a we have an, an open meetings act in Alaska that says you have to have your meetings in sunshine. You have to allow the public to be in your meetings. And uh, what they said, I believe, is that it doesn't matter if we have that because we've, we're providing a camera so you can sort of see what's going on and a telephone that you, that you can call in on. And um, I, I guess they believe that that is good enough and that's why they, they locked Alaskans out of the meetings um, through the month of August while they started passing all of these very controversial measures that, that the public had strong opinions on. What, why can't the public just call in to a meeting and, and, and give their testimony by phone? Well, those, those were offered by legislation as optional methods of communication. And certainly in certain circumstances for individuals from convenience, that's certainly fine. But it's not a substitute for being seen and heard in person, uh, having watched a number of assembly meetings. I can't read the slides that are shown. You don't get the clear picture of what the data that they're portraying really says. Uh, I've talked to a number of people who have signed up to testify by telephone. We have affidavits from many of them saying that, yes, they were signed up, but they never got a call, or if they got a call when it was uh, with no notice and they were unable to actually assemble their data and make their point in the right. limited amount of time that's given. So yeah, we, we recognize that those are alternatives. Those are supplemental to the basic right to be there. If they're there in person, the public has a right to be there in person. Right. They're violating their own principles. There's no reason we shouldn't be there. And, and it does seem like right now that they're moving into a situation where they, they would like to see this sort of codified where the um, telephonic um, communication is adequate to the uh, to meet the the requirements of the Alaska Open Meetings Law, but you guys have asked a superior court judge to um, to put a preliminary, like an emergency injunction, on their actions that they, especially I think, uh, regarding those four buildings. Now, the one building I know that they have already, the mayor has said it's it's simply not adequate. They're not going to buy it. So now they're down to three buildings, and um, I, I guess you your group has asked the judge to put a preliminary injunction until you guys can take this through the court system and see if. This was all legal. Where does that stand right now? Well, the judge denied the request for a preliminary injunction, and uh, I think improperly, but you know, that judges have that right. So we're in a position where we will have to decide whether we're going to ask for reconsideration or whether we're going to ask to go proceed directly into trial on our request for a permanent injunction. Uh, in, in, in the preliminary, in the hearings on the preliminary uh, uh, injunction, one of the municipalities argument was that what they had done so far during this period in which public testimony was limited uh, and circumscribed by the lack of robustness of technology, that they had committed themselves so substantially that they couldn't afford to go back. So their, their argument was maybe we did break the law, but we've actually committed the municipality to so much money and so much liability, judge, that you really need to go along and bend the rules just a little bit, give us a little latitude. Uh, we don't wanna have to go back and try to redo it right in the right way, uh, which would meant going back and opening it up to testimony again uh, and having people question uh, and or submit evidence uh, as to the, unwiseness or the impropriety of these uh, measures. Uh, 
so that's where we are. We, we, we have a history with the courts up here of being kind of willing to bend yeah. the law, even if it's directly derived from the constitutional rights, as, as open meetings certainly are, uh, the right to be seen and heard is fundamental to open government. Uh, so, Frank, you know, what's interesting about this is that uh, the, the Superior Court Judge Uma Ganbear, I believe, she's fairly new, but, you know, I've, I sort of get the impression that if it had been something like, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the liberals had brought this and they, they had said that the, that the Republicans or the conservatives had closed the meetings, I feel like we would have gotten a different response from her. Well, that's certainly been our experience in the past. Uh, you know, when it comes to interpreting the law, there seems to be a regular bias. I know you wrote extensively on uh, the superior, the uh, chief justice's letter on institutional bias in the courts. And, and I'll go back to another court case uh, uh, several years ago uh, when we went to court, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Steve Strait went to court suing then Republican Lieutenant Governor Meade Treadwell uh, when Meade certified the emergency substitution of Bill Walker and Byron Malott as a team for governor and Lieutenant governor, uh, basically erasing the primary. Uh, now the history, the history there was that uh, basically uh, Bill and Byron were going nowhere, according to polling, and we're going to lose. And and uh, and uh, Sean Parnell was uh, going to be a runaway. And uh, there there was a, a convocation of uh, liberals and labor in Anchorage at the Captain Cook Hotel, and uh, Vince Beltrami and. Uh, Alice Rogoff and Bruce Patello and others assembled and took. Uh, Walker and Malott in the back room and applied uh, some kind of discipline to them and they walked out as a unified team. Um, Alaska lost somewhere between 12 and 15,000 jobs during the Walker Malott years. And we've obviously got a problem with it losing even more now as, uh, as, uh, as the assault on the private sector continues. And I see what the assembly is doing is just another, another assault on the private sector. Yeah. Uh, these folks, most of them come out of the uh, nonprofit or government world. They have no skin in the game in the same sense that people out there competing in the private sector in the competitive environment have. Uh, they haven't taken pay cuts. They haven't lost their jobs. In point of fact, uh, most of them have continued even though they, uh, they can't work a full day. They're at home. It's uh, almost like they're on paid vacations. Uh, so I don't think they really understand what's uh, what's going on out here in the real world. So Frank, uh, I'm just let's kind of recap because I think there's a lot of folks maybe listening, and I still run into folks every day who are like, "Wait, the Anchorage Assembly closed the meetings? Like, isn't that illegal?" So for folks that are listening from home, or folks that have maybe just tuned in for the first time and are hearing this for the first time, the Anchorage Assembly closed public meetings. It's a big deal. They made huge decisions uh, through ordinances and, and wanting to purchase buildings with the meetings being closed to the public. Frank, in your opinion, was this a political move by some of these rogue assembly folks? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you, you have folks there that philosophically want government to control most aspects of our lives. Uh, they don't like the idea of freedom. They don't like the idea that the Constitution protects everybody, and it protects us against ourselves. We're not all always virtuous. So we've set up these, this balance of powers that keeps our baser instincts in line. And now we have a situation where one of those fundamental rights that allows us to uh, prevent government from running away, and we have sort of a runaway assembly now, is, is, has been infringed, and we need to defend it. So yeah, I, I'm just curious. Um, what, what is what what does the Alaska Open Meetings Act say about these um, these meetings that are just telephonic or that are closed to everything except for a government controlled camera? Is the is the act specific enough? Do you think? Uh, the act probably there, there are several problems with the act, and ironically, one of the problems with the act is there's really no penalty for violation. Um, as we started doing some of our research back in 1965, a young representative in Juneau tried to actually create a financial penalty for violation of the Open Meetings Act. Uh, Ted Stevens proposed ah. a $1,000 fine for violations of open meetings. Uh, of course, the legislature is exempt from that, but it would apply to the municipal government. It would apply to bureaucracies. It would apply, and, and, and it's actually the people that have the most direct effect on our lives. It, it really would prevent them from conducting business behind closed doors and in the dark. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the legal community seems to be uh, quite willing to bend the rules. I'll still, I still remember when we sued on the uh, emergency, let's say, and emergencies are the, an open door for abuse of public uh, uh, process. In the emergency that existed uh, in the election uh, between uh, Sean Parnell and ultimately Walker and Malott, the emergency was, as far as I could tell, that they were losing, so they had to do something different. That's an emergency. And, and Vinny threatened to cut off the money, and all of a sudden they all had this epiphany that they really loved each other. And uh, But that was... That was a violation. The emergency existed, but there was no real penalty. Uh, mm -hmm. And the law wasn't defended. The judge in that case said effectively, this is a paraphrase, but it's very close. Politics is a dirty business. It takes place behind closed doors with the smell, the, the, uh, smell of cigar smoke and perfume wafting through the air. Uh, you know what, Frank, that's almost an exact quote. Yes, That's almost is. exactly what he said. And uh, so, that really erased a huge line, a barrier to bad behavior in, in, in state politics. And that's happened a number of years ago, as you know. This is another case where another one of those barriers to protect us from our own inclination to sometimes behave badly is being erased by the court if it doesn't defend this. One of the reasons it's so, it's so tempting is that there's no real penalty now. Uh, even if we prevail, uh, the perpetrators will not suffer anything significantly personally for having conspired in the way that they have. Uh, the, the remedy would be to fix the statute, to mm -hmm. go back, 
adjust for inflation uh, Ted Stevens's proposal for a thousand dollar fine and make it uh, maybe a five thousand dollar fine and then have a have a really stringent uh, penalty for egregious abuse of power mm-hmm. and process uh, maybe on the order of $25,000, some prison time, vacation, immediate vacation of office. So, you know, if you have a law that either isn't enforced or has no enforcement mechanism in it, let's face it, we all jaywalk occasionally because penalty's not too great if we don't get hit by a car, the chances of getting a ticket, pretty slender. So nobody pays a lot of attention to it. So we have too many laws on the books and we have been too many lawmakers and too many enforcers who choose whether or not to enforce something. When you turn on the television and see all of these cities burning and rioters and looters, that's because somebody in that governmental entity that supposedly is controlling those environments has chosen not to enforce certain segments of the law, whether it's public inebriation, whether it's, uh, whether it's one group gets to demonstrate and another group doesn't, uh, you know, we saw, saw in miniature sort of the infancy of that mentality, the difference between how the transgender acrobatics that took place in the assembly here a couple of months ago versus the theatrics of Dustin Darden. One, one was just basically ignored, tolerated, uh, pretended like it wasn't significant, and the other resulted in immediate arrest and escort from the room. Uh, if you've got a protocol, if you've got a law, it's meaningless unless it's adhered to and enforced. Now, right now, the uh, assembly has decided kind of on the fly that uh, they're going to forbid clapping, laughter. Uh, who knows what's next? Yeah, uh, no clapping, no laughter, no. Uh, and so I, I see people waving their their fingers up in the air in the um, American Sign Language uh, uh, version of, of clapping. And they, they wave their hands up and, and that's what they're doing now, but because they are they're told that they can't laugh, they can't um, they can't clap, they can't cheer. And I, I understand they've gotta they've gotta have some sort of um, decorum in in the city proceedings, but uh, they they've enforced it selectively. We we're we're on a slippery slope. If we can't enforce a basic fundamental constitutional right, uh, freedom of assembly and freedom of speech, uh, we're in trouble. You know, one of the things I think about, Frank, is that is that even in the midst of all this, I think that people still hold out for a glimpse of hope. I think that as conservatives, that we one of our values is to hope for the best and hope for the future. And I do want to give a shout out to Assemblymember Jamie Allard, who continues to be the hero of Anchorage. She literally puts the fear of God into these liberal loving lawless Avengers who think that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, behind closed doors with no public access. And she, uh, in a very respectful way, continues to call them out every step of the way. So we appreciate you, Assemblymember Jamie Allard. Frank, if somebody wants to get involved, if somebody here is hearing you for the first time, and oftentimes I think people, uh, they don't know how to get involved. And I think some of the times they, they think, okay, I'll post something on Facebook and that's how I get involved. But this is you're actually doing something about this. You and this group are actually doing something about this. If people want to get involved, if they want to help out, if they want to help fund this thing, how does somebody get involved with what you're doing? We have a website, alaskansforopenmeetings.com. Uh, we are a 501c4 uh, 
pending uh, receipt of the final certification by the IRS. We do need more people to be active. We need donations. We obviously, uh, we have two attorneys working on these issues. It's, uh, it's costly, but it's absolutely necessary. So we, uh, we would ask that people click on that website. There's a place for them to volunteer. There's a place for them to donate. They can do it one time, they can do it monthly. And, uh, and we would uh, appreciate uh, any help that uh, comes from this. Um, yes, and you also have a series of events, and I've seen you've got a very robust set of events. It's like every week you've got something going on, some sort of a webinar or special guest. And I know I'm going to be a guest on your on your webinar podcast or whatever it is uh, sometime later on this week. So I look forward to that. That, that. That's right. And we're trying to bring a lot of people in here and a lot of people smarter than I am are coming on to talk about these issues and how consequential they are uh, if we're going to save Anchorage. Uh, Anchorage may be dying. You know, we're uh, we're on a slippery slope. Uh, if you look at the costs of some of these things that the assembly obviously hasn't even calculated, uh, just the uh, acquisition of the real estate takes properties off the tax rolls. It uh, it encumbers the municipality not just for the cost of the properties, for huge costs of renovation to make them, if possible, suitable for purpose. And that doesn't even begin to t give you an idea of the costs of putting a bureaucracy in place in these multiple locations scattered around the uh, uh, municipality. If well, you that's right, because if you build it, they will come for sure. Well, they mm -hmm. will come and many more than can be supported by those four facilities or however many they end up being. Uh, and when you consider how highly compensated the people involved in the homeless industry are, uh, for example, the Anchorage Municipal Coordinator makes $180,000 a year. She coordinates the homelessness there and she's doing a great job. We've got lots of homelessness. She's doing a great job and she has no reason to want the homeless to go away or she wouldn't have a job. So that's one of the uh, inherent dichotomies in bureaucracy. Keeping them focused on mission rather than survival is difficult, particularly now that we have uh, the active involvement of, uh, as we see of uh, the FVAL CIO and the IBEW in supporting the local assembly and our attempts to bring them under control. Very good. Very good. Well, that uh, we've run out of time for today's show. I am so glad we had you on. You've, you've been a, a great speaker and, a, and you've been a timely guest for us because there's a lot going on there at the Anchorage Assembly and they have opened it back up, which shows that even though the incidence of COVID is increased, they were able to open it back up. Therefore, it makes it apparent that closing it in August may have been more about wanting to shove through this um, this laundering of the CARES Act grant and the equity officer and this ban on conversion therapy, which is probably illegal. Um, at least it has been ruled illegal, I believe, in, in at least one place in Florida. But I want to thank you for being on our show, Frank, and thank you, John Quick, and, as, and you as well, Scott Levesque. Can you tell us, John, what else uh, people need to know about Must Read Alaska this week? Must Read Alaska, if you are on the internet of any kind, we are on Parler, MeWe, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it, we're on it. Go check out our YouTube channel. And uh, if you like our podcast, uh, please do a nice review. And we also have a brand new iTunes and Google Play app. If you're in those stores, just look up Must Read Alaska and we will pop right up. If you like that app, download it. It's free to you. Uh, we put a lot of work into that. So if you like it, please leave us a review. 
Very good. And if you'd like to support the conservative side of the news in Alaska, the donate button is on the right side at mustreadalaska.com. Your support allows this project to stay strong and independent against the blue tide of a liberal activist media. So until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska and we're wishing you a Merry Christmas and we'll see you again next week. Stay frosty, everybody. Bye.